0: Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle
1: that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And here we are once again for another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander with you and Bunker to France. And yep. uh, on the horn is... Uh, Chris Ends. She's in some place in California, I believe. And uh we're going to we're going a double header today. We're going to talk about women suffragette and the pinks. Two-headed women? To, no, not two-headed women. Two-headed well, <laughs> pinks. No, no. Welcome to the show, Chris. <laughs>
2: Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me be, be a part of the broadcast. I really appreciate it.
1: We are happy to uh, to have you on. Now, your latest book here is No Place for a Woman, and it's the story of the uh, a number of stories of the struggle for women's rights, uh, women's right to vote in the, West, in, yeah. in, in the Wild West. So when did this all start?
3: Well,
2: who? you know, I think that we have to go as far back as 1776. Okay. Uh, because it was Abigail Adams who told her husband, John Adams, who was one of the crafters of the Declaration of Independence, remember the ladies.
3: Yeah.
2: And um, it was her that said, you've got to keep this kind of thing in mind. And then, uh, you know, it was a movement that began east of the hudson but it wasn't realized until it was west of the mississippi
1: okay and
2: it began really um with a little little bit of a little bitty woman who wasn't even uh five feet tall by the name of lucretia mott Mm -hmm. and uh she and um she was a quaker lady born in nantucket and uh had no idea that the outside world really didn't look at women as being equals because in her family, in her little uh, community in Nantucket, when she grew up, women were raised to be educated right along with the men. Everything was equal there in that, in that Quaker lifestyle. So when she married James, um, who lived in the same village that she did, and they moved to Pennsylvania And um, both of them were anti, um, were abolitionists. Mm -hmm. And um, that was the first time when she moves to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, she realizes, holy Toledo, women aren't treated as equals at all out in the real world. So, um, godly, there must be something that we should be able to do about this. Now, her and her husband uh, were founders of the American Anti Slavery Society. And the two of them um, were named delegates to the World Anti-Slavery Society and go to Europe to uh, sit on this panel. And um, Lucretia is not allowed to be in the room with everybody else because she's a woman. Oh, boy. (laughs) So this kind of sets off um, a a chain of events in Lucretia's life because when she gets back to the United States she um, has a conversation with her friend Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and they decide that they're going to have um, one of the first women's uh, rights conferences, and that's held in uh, Seneca Falls, New York, in July 1848. And what's so amazing about this is it was a three-day conference. It was Lucretia, her husband James, um, Uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott's husband, James, stood as uh, the person in charge of the conference because Elizabeth Cady Stanton was so quiet and shy at the time. She'd never run a meeting, Mm -hmm. and she wasn't one of those people that wanted to get up and speak, but she finally does get up. Now, the whole thing is, is held in a church, and she finally gets up and goes to the pulpit, and speaks to this group of people. Like I said, it was a three-day conference, two days with people who are interested in moving this forward, mm-hmm. and then the third day it's open to the public. But here Elizabeth Caddy Stanton gets up, and one of the first... Um, speeches that she gives, she reads the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's really key, because this is, you know, way before there was Internet or mm-hmm. any kind of uh, mm-hmm. Hulu or anything else like that. You just sit around and you memorize different speeches. Sure. And the Declaration of Independence was incredibly important, and everybody knew it. So when she begins reading the Declaration of Independence, she gets to the part where it says that all men will be created equal, and she adds all men and women will be created equal. Well, it just, there's a ripple effect in the, in the oh, uh, crowd that's there, because they can't believe that someone dared say it in public. <laughs> and yeah. um, she she's just kind of, you know, as I said, Elizabeth Cady Stanton's kind of a, a quiet lady, and she doesn't cower but she just is kind of shy then about going forward and there was a gentleman in the back of the room who said no 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 w- voting you should have the right to vote regardless of your color and regardless of your sex and that person was frederick douglas
3: mm-hmm. wow
2: and when he gets up and he makes that statement well
3: yeah. right.
2: stanton is she is on fire now so um at the end of this event, she decides that they are going to um, have a Declaration of Rights, and they are going to announce at that, declara- at that particular meeting, this is our Declaration of Rights, and we are now going to go out and tell the world that women should have the right to vote. We are now going to be fighting for this.
1: Would it be so, would it be fair to say that back in back in ye oldie times like that, that the social mores were such that women were supposed to take a back seat basically to what the husband does? But moreover, when the Declaration was written, would it be fair to say that the writers were including everyone when they said created uh, 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 for all men? Would that be likened to mankind, or am I barking up the wrong tree?
3: No,
2: oh no, they, the they definitely, they definitely meant we don't okay. want women to. Okay. We don't want women to vote. It's a they very question. They definitely, they definitely did not. That was not something that they thought should be a part of it. Now, of course, mm. you had John Adams, who was quite progressive in his thinking, and I'm sure that if he had told Elizabeth, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> Abigail, there isn't any way that you're going to get a right to vote. I mm-hmm. think he probably would have got some fight f- at home from that. Mm, no, no, <laughs> but He'd been living I in think. A- no I think for the most part, especially when this movement began in 1848, the whole notion was that women weren't necessarily smart enough, but, but they were subservient to men, so why give them the right to vote when they would just vote as their their fathers or their, or their brothers or their husbands would do? There's absolutely no reason to have that additional vote. And then the other thing that, that really... <laughs> and as I said, this movement starts in eighteen forty eight and these women all get together in these small groups and they are really working hard to push this. But what they get what they um the first one of the very first obstacles they come up against is another group that started is the Christian temperance women's movement. And uh, you know, they too are suffragettes, but they also are saying, um, not only do we believe women should have the vote right to vote, but when we get the right to vote, we're going to say men can't drink.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so you had a lot of men saying, "Oh my gosh, heavens no, women women voting." There isn't any way that we can let this happen because if we let it happen, then they're gonna take they're going to take away all our booze, and yeah. what are we going to do? Yeah, so, yeah.
4: I want to I take a second here to kind of set the stage for. Uh, what life was like out in the West, because uh, as you mentioned in your book. Uh, that's. Hey, guys, a- I've been, I, don't, I can't hear you. Uh, I'm so sorry. I was just going to say uh, I want to read a little paragraph here because you to kind of set the stage for what it was like for the women in the West because it was a different thing, but it was really where seed really took and grew. Now let me just read this. It's a short one here. The ladies helped run the ranch or farm, fought Indians and outlaws, and many could shoot just as well as their husbands. In their spare time, they kept the house, raised the kids, put food on the table, washed clothes, cut firewood, and slopped the hogs. Joking aside, frontier life for women was rough. There weren't many who lived past the age of 50. And then moving on down for another one, which I think this is, this also bears a lot. He says, to make matters worse, much of early America was affected by old English law, which provided that a woman once married could not legally hone property separate from her husband. Uh, Of course, the Southwest, that was countered by Spanish law, which allowed women to maintain control of their property after marriage and guaranteed them one-half interest in all community property. And so that's kind of setting the stage for one-half of the germination ground.
2: Well, I I I don't disagree with you. I think that that women, um, certainly the women that came out west, really could do everything that that a man could do and then some. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that. Um,
1: Stand by. I got I got the, some the, echo, the echo here that I need to fix for fix you here. Hang on a minute. Uh, okay.
3: okay.
2: Okay. I think that what I want. Let me let me mention this before I go any further about um, how incredibly determined and. And, um, dedicated women out west were. And just to let you know that some of the first women that could vote in this country anyway were, uh, soil doves. Because if you were a soil dove, especially in the west, and let's just go Dodge City, 1866, if you owned property, uh, you got to vote in local elections because, um, you had to buy a license and that license went to fund, um, the local police force. If you were so lucky to have a fire department that that funded it, so um, women in those particular instances they were the they were some of the very first ones to vote.
4: That's sure. true. You know, there's a very interesting story. There was a group of women up in a town in Washington Territory. I can't remember the town, but these were all uh, basically the soil doves who had worked their way up in the world until they had their own establishments. And had become the major property owners in the town and were the movers and shakers of the town politics.
2: Well, it doesn't hurt if you're sleeping with some of the major politicians in town, <laughs> you know. <so. laughs>
4: or, or you or you know their wives. All right, we have
1: uh, I think we have Todd Roberts from Los Angeles joining us. Are you there, Todd? I am here.
3: Hey. Hello.
5: Howdy, 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 and howdy. Say hello to Chris, Todd. Hey. Hello, Todd. Chris, and I'm excited to chat with you. Yes. Um, oh good very much this very much good. i i love i love it when someone uh comes out and dispels um a rumor uh a myth in uh, especially if it pertains to the west and i think you've done that here tremendously so um
2: oh good well thank you yeah that's um uh, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm I'm hogging all the air time well, Go ahead, Todd. L-
1: l- let's let's move in. Let's move in here. We the movement has started in 1848, and the 1850s come along, and they're working, working, and then uh, we have that little unpleasantness that happens in 1860. And
4: uh, well, the anti-slavery women had a played a
1: part. Right. So moving back now, moving uh, past the uh, Wawa between the states, what happens?
2: Well, you have um, after the Civil War, you have a uh, push west, and you have women that are going uh, west with their husbands and their fathers and their brothers, and some women just going by themselves, as uh, the soil oh, does were to do at the very beginning of this. But you had women that were coming west, and when they came west, they were the ones that were saying we 're going to settle this area, and here is how here are the rules that we 're going to put into place, and because Like, for example, states like Wyoming, or Mm -hmm. territories like Wyoming, who wanted to be a state, knew that that wouldn't happen unless they brought more people in. So in order to um, encourage women to come to the area, they said, come here, we're going to give you the right to vote.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, And they wanted that to happen because... um, They figured more people that they had in their territory, the more likely they'd be able to become a state.
3: Numbers. And
2: uh, darned if it wasn't true. That certainly was the case with Wyoming. It was the case with a lot of them. But in these communities, women got to come in and say, here are the rules now. Uh, We don't have to conform to anything that was going back east. There are none of those uh, mores that ha- we have to hold on to anymore. This is uh, this is a new time. This is a new place, and here's what's going to happen. That must
1: have really been a shock to the blue bloods, huh?
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, tell us a little something about uh, Louisa Ann Swain, because we're in Wyoming now, and I think that's kind of a <laughs> neat story.
2: Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, here you have um, a little lady that's um, she's she's seventy, I think she's. Seventy something. I think maybe she just plain old seventy years old, and she's um, you know, eighteen September eighteen seventy. That they had that Wyoming had voted suffrage in. Uh, what was it in September, September of eighteen sixty nine? Six. Suffrage was approved. So here you have these ladies, uh, Louisa Swain, uh, got her sourdough fixins in her little pail, and uh, <laughs> stops to vote. And she becomes the first woman to vote in an election after the state had passed suffrage. And Wyoming is recognized as that very first place to pass suffrage. And so because of that, Louisa Swain is known as the first woman to vote. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because always, always you hear people from Utah saying, wait a second, women in Utah voted long before Louisa Swain did. Um, and and there's couldn't couldn't dis, couldn't agree with you more. But uh, suffrage in Utah was passed in February eighteen in January eighteen seventy, and women were voting in eighteen seventy in Utah, but that didn't count because suffrage was passed first in Wyoming in eighteen sixty nine, mm-hmm. and so Louisa Swain is known as the very first woman to vote. Did a you- little gray dress going down with her apron. Just took a minute to vote and um, and ushered in. She's, you know, recognized historically as that. I mean, that's one of the very big things that Wyoming is quite proud of. They're known as the equality state. So.
1: Wasn't there also somebody from Wyoming who served in in the uh, early state legislature? A, a female? I, I, I seem to remember something about that.
2: Well, it it was really Montana. Okay. Uh, Re- Republican uh, Jeanette Rankin was the first woman elected Congress in 1916. Uh-huh. Uh, but in but Esther Hobart Morris. Who uh, was the first female justice of the peace in Wyoming? And there had never been any woman to do that, <laughs> so yeah. he was the first woman in Wyoming to do that. And her and her husband, um, uh, they they come from the east, and um, they come from Peru, Illinois, into um, into Wyoming, into South Pass, Wyoming, to be specific. And uh, he's a, he's a saloon owner, and uh, he's. He's an Henri cuss, too. I mean, that guy is always brawling in the street
3: <laughs> and
2: tossing people out on their ears and brawling in the street. And uh, then uh, the, when women were given the right to vote in Wyoming, you had the Justice of the Peace, the current Justice of the Peace, saying, you know what? If women are going to vote, I am out of here. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to have anything to do with this. And so uh, the government officials said, eh, let's have Esther the first justice of the
3: peace, <laughs> female <laughs> justice,
2: of peace. and so she is. That's cool. And uh, she's appointed uh, justice of the peace in um, oh, in early 1870, and she sta- Actually, in, in, um, on February 14th, 1870, she takes office. And uh, she's got 26 cases in her whole career, nine of them are criminal, and one of them happened to be her husband, <laughs> who, who owned the saloon. But as I said, he was a brawler, but he wasn't <laughs> exempt from being arrested. And on October 23rd, 1870, he um, is having a big fight, and he's out in the middle of the street fighting, and she has him put away for assault and battery. <laughs>
1: so. Well, and on that note, we're going to take our first break.
2: (laughs) That's great.
1: (laughs) We are talking with Chris Enns about uh, women's suffragette this half hour, uh, first half hour. In the next half hour, we're going to talk about the pinks. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We'll be right back. The Tucson Trap
0: and Skeet Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at tucsontrapandskeet.com.
2: As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help.
0: 777
2: Oh, and something else. You know, women down there can vote. Vote? Yeah. Women vote? Yeah. Oh! That, it's times like these. It just makes me give thanks that I don't know how to read.
3: This is the Voices of the West.
2: Aye, aye. Look
3: how punches cry priory sounds to the sky. Sing yippee-ki-yippee-ki-yay
1: this is Amo Franzi's voices of the West Harry Alexander Bunker de France our get, uh, Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles our guest is uh, Chris Enns author uh, she's also the incoming prez of the Western Writers of America congratulations
2: and I'm sure glad I can't read <laughs> yes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because you know, Efestus. Like I said, I mean, Gunsmoke was in Dodge City. You know, you know, um, Miss Kitty was voting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
4: So. Uh, You know, I've, I've got a question for you, Chris. <laughs> there's a there's a series running. It's a syndicated series called the Murdoch Mysteries. Are you familiar with it? I am not. Well, you should check this guy out. It takes place in Toronto right after the turn of the century, dealing with the Toronto Constabulator, but the there is a major part of the show deals with women's suffrage it, and the story the characters his wife is she's a coroner in the in the constabulary but she's also very much very active in the women's movement and to my knowledge i think it's the only series western or modern that really deals with that as a part of the ongoing storyline
2: Hmm. Wow, well, that good for them. Oh. I applaud them for being able to do that I mean that was such a that was such a key factor in what and women fought for that for seventy years. Can no. you imagine that fighting for something for that long? and how it spanned the West as long as it did. I mean, if I go to the dry cleaners in the bank and one day I want to I <laughs> take a nap, I can't, I can't imagine doing that for 70 years. Oh, no, I'm man. so glad there is a show that does focus on that. Well, and you know, you, when you break it
4: down, think about it. You know, all of these different elements that came together to make it work. You know, you had you had women that were... Finally, because of industry, a lot of women who had little cottage jobs, uh, were put out of put out of business and so they had this freedom to you know and curiosity and and desire to build something better, but you had the coming out of the pre civil war a lot of women were involved in the anti slavery movement you had the temperance movement there was all kinds of women's movements that were starting together, you know the founding of the red cross uh it was just you know it, it's it's amazing that all of these all of this fertile ground all of a sudden starts producing this magnificent crop of women who uh, see the future and fight for it.
2: You know, what I think is, it's, I, I I appreciate your sentiment about that, because you're right, there were women that did just amazing things, and that was um, being able to come up with. Well, the Red Cross is huge, but one thing I want to mention is um, women like Abigail, uh, Abigail Scott Dunway and Emma Smith Devoe, who was, um, they were in the Pacific Northwest. It took a little while for these women, who were really important in the movement, mm-hmm. to get involved because, for some reason, and I think if we thank Carrie Nation for this, they had it in their mind that if you got involved, it meant you hate men, and especially in the Abigail Scott Dunaway's case, she had a, she had a wonderful husband, well, so did Emma Smith DeVoe. A lot of these women had great husbands who were very supportive. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that people like Carrie Nation came up with was, you got to hate men in order to be a part of this, just was something that, that women like that were um, not going to embrace.
4: Mm-hmm. And was, wasn't that also part of the anti-feminist movement to... To try to disseminate that kind of uh, legend or story that these were all men hating women. Because, you know, a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of the husbands uh, were, were uh, preachers or in the clergy, and their wives went on to, you know, they were behind these movements, but their wives went on to surpass them as, as far as leadership.
2: Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's there's always that faction out there who want to make it seem like this is something that it isn't. For example, when it came to, I mean, the temperance movement and the whole idea that in order to give women the right to vote, men had to give up their alcohol, I mean, that was... You had people like Carrie Nation who really were on the forefront of making that really in the public eye. We're going to come around with an axe and bust up saloons and bust up stills. And then you have women like Abigail Dunaway who said, I like the drink. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the problem is. Um, I'm going to say let us have the, have the right to vote, and then if women want to vo- drink, they can. Yeah. Well.
3: It's like
4: carination. Nation. Her know, first husband was a doctor, but drink ended and shortened his life, and that was part of her motivation, was she didn't want to see this happen to anybody else. Well, well
2: I think she was unbalanced anyway. <laughs> I mean, her, 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 She's a her, her, father, her father was an alcoholic, and not yes. only did she marry an alcoholic once, but she married an alcoholic twice. Mm-hmm. So Todd, Todd? Um, yeah, she had an axe to grind. No pun intended, <laughs> right from the very beginning there. But I mean, she it, a lot of what Carrie did was for show. You know, I mean, she mm-hmm. even she was even on vaudeville with her with her yeah, axe. vaudeville. Yeah. Hey Todd, you want to jump know? in
5: here? Yeah, I'd like to ask Chris if if she if 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 it hadn't have been to get statehood status, um. How much longer would it have taken Wyoming to become the first state to legalize women voting? So would it have been another decade, two decades, four decades?
2: Uh, I think I, I think it would have happened just at the time that it did. I mean, uh, they started, and Wyoming started in 1869 trying to drum up business and bring people out to go from being a territory to a state. It happens in 1869. Wyoming is not a state until 1890.
3: Okay. So, um, so i think
2: it would have i think it would have happened in, in the same order that it did um so I, I think you just had uh it was the west was far more progressive than um i think a lot of times they're given credit for um because well, everybody yes, likes to think well, to the East is so on proper a basis this is this is how they do things but you know in the west they really had it going on. Women, women—they recognized how important women were to the family unit, to the community, to being able to settle the West. And um, they acquiesced to them. Men were smart too.
5: Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's the old joke of, "Do you ever want to get a a, a peaceful night's sleep <laughs> um, uh, for the rest of your life?" Uh, and a, a lot, a lot happens in marriages because of that um, my dad and, and used to always uh my mother joked and i won 't say who it was. she used to say about this actress, how did she get the part in that in those movies <laughs> and he said honey um his her husband is uh, the vice president of production at the studio yeah. and she said so yeah. <laughs> and my dad said, Do you think he ever was going to get another peaceful night's sleep for the rest of his life if she didn't get that role. I got to tell and, you. And, you know, I, I think it, it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the threat of the uh, sleeping on the couch, uh, or in this case, you know, wherever, other than the bedroom, uh, probably moved a lot of minds, shall we say.
1: I'll, um, I'll, I'll tell you this. After being married for 48 years to the same lady uh, and happily married... um. I, I I listen a lot to what what she says if I know it's good for me.
2: Right. You know what I don't I don't disagree with you on that. But he, but let me just tell you a little bit about Abigail Dunaway because Abigail Dunaway she's married to a really wonderful man and they they come west they come to the Pacific Northwest. And they're walking most of the time. I mean, she's in a they, they take a wagon, but you know they're walking most of the time because if you ever rode in a wagon that long, you'd feel like your teeth were being mm-hmm. jarred out of your head. It really wasn't a uh, a comfortable ride. But um, she comes all the way to the Pacific Northwest. They set up a ranch. Her husband has a terrible accident where a wagon rolls over the back of him, mm. and he can't work. And so Abigail is the one who sets the ranch in motion she 's the one that does it all and raises the kids now he helps as much as he can, but he recognizes how strong she is and how amazing she is and he 's the one that said, "You know if all the women are like you, Abigail, they should be able to vote mm-hmm. um, so you know it wasn 't necessarily always out of um yeah, I think that probably helped them to get a good night 's sleep by people agree by their husbands agreeing with them <laughs> on the other hand, you had those you had men. Who not only for a good night's sleep, but also just because they they're smart men, they recognized. Wait, wait a second! Right. This woman is doing a lot. And they why enjoy I should company. tell her? She,
1: yeah, yeah. So why I should tell her? She you can't say, vote? Chris, I don't know.
2: Uh, and you know, here Abigail is. I mean, she's working around the ranch, doing the laundry, and she. Everybody knows how incredibly progressive her own husband is, and. Women start coming over and talking to her and saying, you know, I wish I had a husband like you because my husband is really, he's not very nice. He won't let me do this. He won't let me do this. Abigail is just outraged about this, and so she decides she is going to put together a newspaper and write about all of these things, and she does. She comes up, she found this newspaper called The New Northwest in 1871 and it's all about how women are being treated poorly in some respects and how they should um be allowed to have a say and um you know that's it just, this stall starts from there with abigail that's when she uh she starts it in 18 early 1871 and and in uh, the summer she asks susan b anthony to come out and uh they can go on stump speeches together and and tour the pacific northwest and talk to women about Mm. about what's going on and Mm -hmm. they they were kind of radicals because they would go right into saloons and they would talk (laughs) to people about it they would they would go into the the stores the mercantiles and just start chatting away (laughs) and 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 people were um quite they were they were quite progressive with their thoughts and the way that they did things and um they did help move especially Susan B. Anthony they did help move that that particular movement down the field Mm -hmm. but then you had women like Emma Smith DeVoe who was this very proper lady who had meetings with other ladies and she served tea Mm. and she came she always dressed in lace and her finest she was the perfect lady Mm -hmm. and she enjoyed being married and um she had this whole. Um, instead of going out and stump speeching like this, she had uh, her and her ladies had something called um, known as the principles for guidance in the suffrage campaign, and their idea was always be cheerful and respectful.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so they would talk to their husbands and their brothers and their ministers and say, "Listen, you don't you understand how wonderful women are." <laughs> And how smart they are, and shouldn't you give them the right to vote? And so instead of them stump-speeching every place, Mm. they would go to the men and men's meetings and say, Listen, we are the ones who help raise your children. We are the ones who... Don't you know me, Dad? Don't you know me, my brother? You mm-hmm. know the kind of person I
1: am. Yeah, it's a little bit of psychological operations there. We're talking with uh, uh, Chris Enns, author and incoming president of the Western Writers of America, and uh, we're talking about women's suffragette. We're kind of done on that topic. We're going to shift gears I'm just and talk.
3: Going. I know. Talk I about. I do have one more question.
1: <laughs> well, after the break, uh, we're going to talk the pinks after these important messages. So stay tuned, folks. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. First, contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust.
2: Man, this is frustrating. It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage.
1: Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? Uh-huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh Uh-huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh Uh-huh.
5: Call
0: Arizona Computer Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus-free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304-8300 or at azcomputerguru.com.
1: Hello? Hello? I'm Mr. Ed. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horset Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org.
4: There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19.
2: Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast.
4: Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Out podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Out podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like... The Alexa Quote of
2: the Show. And may the ought to be ever in your favor.
4: And have a From the Cutting Room Floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions, such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So... After finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, and that's a wrap.
2: You can stand up and
4: tell me you lie. With pleasure. You dirties. When you call me that, Smile. With
0: a gun against my belly, I always smile.
1: This is the Voices of the West. We are back on a more of Voices of the West. It's a Saturday. Harry Alexander along with Bunker de France. Todd Roberts is out in Los Angeles. Our guest is Chris N's author. And uh, first half of the show, we talked about women's suffragette. And this half... Um, a topic that I've been wanting to do for a long, long time on the Pink's. Uh, the the book is the first women detective operatives and spies with the Pinkerton National Detective Agency. Boy, that's a title and a half, otherwise known as the Pink's. And uh, chew
4: gum and talk at the same time. Yeah, right. That <laughs> that, that
1: ain't that dog ain't gonna hunt. Um, so. Uh, before we get into that, Todd is back with us. Todd, you had one more question on suffragettes.
5: This is just a conceptual question, but I, obviously you're a, an authoritarian on the subject. that Bunker and Harry and I have had this debate many times over the years of what settled the West. There's some that say it's the, the lever-action rifle, and some say it's the Colt single-action. Some say it's the railroad, the iron horse. Others say it was the shotgun because you could defend yourself and eat with it. Um, but I always have said that what truly settled the West was the white woman. Mm. Because with her, she brought two things that ran all the fun out of the town. <laughs> she, she brought the school and the church. And that settled the town, theoretically.
4: And good cooking.
2: Well, well i got to tell yeah. you that okay. there's probably a lot of truth to that, but I believe that uh, what helped settle the West was the uh, invention of the screen. Because prior to that, uh, people just had their their cabin doors open, mm. their windows open, all manner of bugs and everything else could get in. The minute the screen was invented and they were able to put that up, you saw a lot more uh, civility returning to the homes. Interesting. The okay. door-to-door screen wow.
5: salesman. That's
1: interesting.
2: All right. Yeah.
1: All right. Are you?
5: So, by the way, bunker. Are you saying that men can't cook?
4: I, I, what I'm saying is that if I had to sit down and cook dinner, or if I could sit down and eat my mom's dinner. There's no way in the world anybody beats my mom's cooking. I'll tell you what, I'll cook. <laughs> yeah. My First mother, all, my Harry, mother did Harry, not cook. Some of, some of us some of had a ho- happy home that's, life.
2: Yeah, I'm the same way. But the same <laughs> that sounds like I that's another well. show. Yeah. That's for another show.
4: you it's the difference between being a country boy, <laughs> farm and ranch, and being a city guy. With the deli down the street. There you go. Let's get. Harry Harry and Bunker, I didn't get this physique by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Uh
5: All right. On
1: to the pinks. Who is this devil, Alan Pinkerton?
4: He is the devil.
2: Oh, I cut. You know, we we go from talking about. the suffrage movement and the men who were quite progressive and helped the women along and able to make it all work for them, the husbands that were supportive. Alan Pinkerton was another one of those. I mean, there were a few men who were ahead of their time. Pinkerton was one of them. Uh, Buffalo Bill Cody was another one Mm -hmm. of them, men who were not afraid to hire women. Mm -hmm. And um, in 1856, you had um, little kate warren walking into pinkerton's office in chicago and asking for a job and uh, he said well you know we don't i don't need any secretaries at this time and she said wait a second i don't want to answer the phone and do all of that i think that i could be a really wonderful agent if you give me a chance i can get into places and to do work that most men can't do so give me a chance and as a progressive thinker pinkerton did just that he hires kate and um she does some amazing work for him and ends up being um a woman who then trains other agents and is the woman that becomes the head of what we now know as the secret service
4: Mm -hmm. Hmm. did not she all do some forensic work uh, as well one of the
1: early forensics
2: um I don't know necessarily about that mm-hmm. now the cases that I did write about with regards to uh the ones that Kate did um well I don't know let me give you let me give you an example of kind of the cases Ooh. that Kate did one of her first cases was something that happened in in uh, Mississippi there was a gentleman that was a uh, bank teller who was bludgeoned to death with um a hammer some sort of a really uh, blunt instrument like that and he was bludgeoned to death. And um, on the floor was a um, a button that had initials in it, um, AD. And in the potbelly stove was a half-burned IOU note signed by Alexander Dumont. So it really wasn't difficult to find out who the person was that killed the the um, the teller. It was Alexander Dumont, but uh, sorry, Drysdale. But but the Pinkertons weren't interested in catching a murderer. The Pinkertons were hired to go get money, and the money that was stolen from that bank—that's what the Pinkertons were after. They were hired to go get that. So Pinkerton sends Kate to Mississippi to find out who um, where this money was. She befriends instantly befriends Alexander Drysdale's wife, and they go. They have tea together. They go horseback riding together. Kate devises this particular uh, plot where she is going to fall off her horse in front of the Drysdale's plantation and pretend as though she's very hurt. And they take her in and say, please, um, we feel terrible about what's happened. We want you to to stay here and get better here. And that's exactly what Kate was wanting, (laughs) to get into the house. And so um first couple of nights that she's there she doesn't do anything and then she decides that she's going to start leaving trails of blood from Alexander Drysdale's bed mm. along the way. <laughs> At first he thinks he just has a bloody nose. Interesting. And she then he begins following this trail of blood which leads outside into uh, the garden area. Huh. And it's a full it's a night of there's a full moon and as he's out there um, looking to see what this blood is I mean the guy she's gaslighted this guy now where he's just out of his mind he looks up and he sees through the clearing uh, a man who is dressed to look just like this eight this clerk that he's killed including his back of his head is all bloody Wow. <laughs> that's that's another one of the Pinkerton agents that he sent down there with Kate um, and so this particular um, leaving the trail of blood and this guy following this Trail of blood out for a lot happens for weeks hmm. until finally he leads Kate to this portion of the creek that's dried out where he pulls up this rock and all the money is under the rock.
3: Hmm. Wow, you know, wow. The kind
2: of, you know, that's the kind of thing that Kate would do.
4: You know, what's what's so interesting about that story is one, her detecting, you know, an old time sheriff back then, he probably wouldn't have paid that much attention to the button Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have gone searching around and found the documents in the stove uh and then her use of psychology
2: yeah i mean she was brilliant she was brilliant but i mean she like the other um female agents working with pinkerton they were always working um undercover and so she would hardly ever get out of being in one situation where she was known, might have been known as um, Ellen something or other, right. an operative Ellen, then she would get into another case and have a different, different name.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, hmm. yeah, that's what's so fascinating about these women. They, they never came out of being undercover for, for too very long. Well, and know. it was, you know, it was Kate Warren who was part of... Um, the Baltimore plot she helped figure out who right.
3: was
2: gonna bump off Lincoln before yeah. he took the oath of office yeah
1: you know, the, the, the story of Kate Warren is really interesting because Netflix did a uh, uh, had a, a program on I don't think it's on anymore um, it was called the Pinkertons produced in Canada and the oh, the, the actress who portrays uh, uh, Warren or yeah uh, she I mean it's just there's a lot of what you're talking about, how that character was in real life, using the psychology and such, and being undercover. Um, it was a great show. Unfortunately, there were only one or maybe two seasons, uh, but uh, it was it was a great western. We got to do our final break here, and our guest is Chris Enns, and she's Madam in Los President. Angeles. Uh, Madam President of the uh, the Western Riders of America and uh, Bunker DeFrance is here. I'm Harry Alexander. We're going to finish up our commercial break here and be right back and talk much more about the
4: pinks.
0: Seven 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 nineteen eleven.
3: Hi, this is Joe
5: Montaigne. Every time my uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more... Visit ArmyHistory. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club
0: dates from 1948 and is now at seventy eight hundred West Olaho Highway. The club owns eighty acres and leases three hundred more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting place courses with twelve stations each, a nine thousand square foot clubhouse, two hundred full service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapanski.com
1: It's a Thorndike
4: man, all right. Charlie Gray. So we ain't doing so good fighting Thorndike, huh? Well, if he's still alive, I'll ram him down his boss's
1: throat. Well, he's alive, all right. But he's hurt so bad he wouldn't care what you done to him. This is the Voices of the West. Oh, we are back on Amel Francis's Voices of the West. Got some uh, Rudy Scooter there in his Californians.
4: Blanket. I don't care what you do to me, Harry. I'm about <laughs> half dead already.
1: That come from uh, that particular uh, drop came from uh, Johnny Mac Brown movie uh, called uh, 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 Roaring Dan's Son, and uh, that's Roaring Dan in there. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. You can't <laughs> fuzzy beat night. Johnny Mac. He's one of the quick draw, real true quick girl and. Trick gun artist. Yes, you tricks like you
1: would. Yes, believe. indeed. And one other note I'd like to uh, oh. pass on here is uh, the Army Museum that you hear Joe Montana talking about. Uh, that is set to open sometime this year. I am—I I will tell you—I am a proud founding member, uh, sponsor of, of, of that museum.
4: I just remembered. I want to—I want to give a big Yahoo out there for Sherrod. Her Damn. birthday is coming up. I yeah. think it's I think it's the 22nd on Wednesday. Okay. Anyhow, Sherrod, love you. Have a happy, happy birthday. Yes, and indeed. From Bunker and Harry yeah. and Todd. Yes, indeed. And, and Chris. Yeah. You're,
5: you're right. It is from me. She probably wants to hear from me more than anyone
4: else. That's right. Oh. That's what she says
1: all the time. <laughs> We're talking about the pinks with uh, Chris Enns, and uh, what else do we have about the pinks? We, unfortunately, well, don't have a whole lot of time I, left. but
4: I've got so. a little kind of a little thing I want to mention here, because I, I think maybe Chris can throw some light on it. But I come across, while well, I was looking up stuff about the pinks, I come across this old article uh, about two caught. At an Oregon Express robbery, and it goes into detail about the about, about the arrest and everything, and it mentions Deputy Sheriff George Quine and two Pinkerton detectives were the captors. All through the article, they keep referring back to uh, Sheriff Quine. They never mentioned the name of the detectives, and I it got me to thinking that may have been part of the standard operating procedure for the Pinkertons to try not to have their agents identified, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so there was that om- anonymity. That yep, yep. Do you have anything to say about that, Chris?
2: Oh yeah, that that's definitely how um, Alan Pinkerton he worked. I mean, and a lot of times it was really hard to, to follow when you're going through his records because he would refer to I wouldn't necessarily refer to Kate as Kate Warren, whatever project she was working on or whatever case, he used her handle in that particular case that she Mm. was working on. So sometimes you're going through and you think, well, who is this person? Oh, okay, it's Kate. (laughs) <laughs> um, be, yeah, just being able to make sure that these guys didn't um, have their names or their identity mentioned. I mean, you know, Jill LaForce, You get people like that who rose to the top because they were so mm. they were so popular because they were so dogged at what they did.
3: tangled uh, webs. Were the,
2: they were the stars of the Pinkertons, but then you had those people that worked behind the scenes that that needed to that needed to keep their identity preserved. Um, so, one think- Chris,
5: I got three big questions for you okay um n- number one um which is a it's a it's an, it's spilt milk, but nonetheless, I have to ask it <laughs> if Alan Pinkerton was with the President Lincoln throughout the Civil War as his kind of chief of security or loosely called or labeled or whatever you want to call that, why was he not with him after the war um Knowing that the South was very disgruntled and not had for created a better um, uh, uh, security force around him, I've always heard it was because Lincoln didn't think it was necessary. But I want your uh, your your answer to that. Number two, it, so, you know, the stories of Charlie Chiringo, um being disguised constantly and no one ever having a real picture of him. I guess there's some drawings to really kind of get his face. So that that's true because he was a, uh, a, a loose, uh, shall I say, jobber for the Pinkertons on occasion. And then lastly, was the um, would you say that it's it's true that that the Pinkertons found themselves uh, in in more uh, dangerous situations or less Then you would say you're you know they always say about private eyes today it's a really boring job
2: okay well first of all i am a private investigator and i will tell you the cases that i take are anything but um boring they're heartbreaking but they're not boring um let me let me just go to with the the very first question you asked about um why pinkerton wasn't with Lincoln more well he was he was just in the background and he just wasn't as pronounced and the reason why that was is because uh, Pinkerton had a huge um, falling out with McClellan McClellan was one of um, the top um, brass for in the Civil War and was um, had had Lincoln's ear and um, Pinkerton and McClellan had no love for one another <laughs> and so there was a big falling out that happened but um i it, it's not it's not ter- it's not completely accurate to say that that pinkerton wasn't with um wasn't with the president even after he was elected because he he really they had um people with him the whole time um trying to make sure that he was okay i mean pinkerton had an agent that went into um, at, that took care of Lincoln when he was when Lincoln was in office he had one of the agents that was uh, a female sculptress she's in the book her name was Vinnie Reims and Vinnie Reims went in and uh, she was doing this bust of Lincoln but she was in there for a while to overhear who was trying to kill Lincoln even after he got into office
3: mm. Mm. And she would
2: uh, she would carry in this bust, and um, it had um, secret compartments in it, and she would put information in it, and then that those um, that bust would be taken out, and those secret um, compartments open, and those messages filtered off to who they were going to. So he was he was looking out for the president,
4: kind of like Richard Nixon's tapes. <laughs> so. So
2: yeah, there you go. Those... We have to look for a bust of Nixon, and then we would have been <laughs> able to figure out there it was. Yeah,
5: perfect. So, so why do we have a a uh, um, uninspired, um, semi drunkard, um, uh, over the hill sergeant looking after Lincoln at the night at the Ford's Theater?
2: Um, a lot of this has to see in well they had they had other people looking out for Lincoln, and one of them was a woman her name was Laura Keene, and she was the actress on stage um, Some of this uh, you know that's that's a really good question. I do know that he had other people there that were agents looking out for him um
1: well, that's going to have people,
2: to... People asleep at the wheel, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's going to have okay, to be another show. Answer. That's going to have that's to
1: be another answer. show, I believe, thank because you. we are plumb out of time. Chris, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you,
2: guys. Really I sure appreciate it. I yeah. had a good time. It yeah. was
1: more fun than a sack full of squirrels, Indeed. Chris. Oh, Chris ends. <laughs> author, she has a, a buttload of books out, probably more than Boggs. And, uh, Over 24. Yeah, and, and probably wrote a couple while we were doing the show. I mean, <laughs> She and Boxers like that. Um, so it's
3: only forty-seven. Okay, only 47. <laughs> only, 47. <laughs> only forty-seven. Wow. <laughs>
1: All right. So that's it for this edition of uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank, really you, guys. Appreciate it. thank you. Thank uh, you. Next time Chris, we get together, uh, we're next week. Uh, we're going to talk. It's movie Saturday. We're going to talk about. Rex Allen.
4: And his horse, Coco.
1: And, uh, you know, you may not know a whole bunch about Rex Allen. Uh, You'll but know more after next week. Bet you will, because we guarantee it. That's <laughs> it for this edition of Abel Franji's... Frans- uh, Alright, thank you. This edition of Amel Franzi's Voices of the West. Thanks for joining us. So long. Adios.